0: What did David do? David danced before the Lord with all his might, leaping, leaping, and dancing before the Lord. In our scripture reading this morning, we wonder what that leaping is all about, in that day, there were a lot of changes happening in Israel. For seven years, David has ruled Judah, but things are shifting. Jerusalem has been recently acquired from the Canaanites, and the seat of power is on the move from Hebron, about 20 miles north, up to Jerusalem. Now, David is only the second king in the history Of Israel, which in itself is an adjustment for God's chosen people. And He is already shaking things up, establishing a royal dynasty with all the army and flash and bureaucracy that a dynasty, even a dynasty with the stamp of approval of God, requires. And when we're talking about God's people, God's church, Well, we know how change goes over in church. The rally day picnic is always on the second Sunday after Labor Day. And we always serve communion by passing those shined up little silver trays every single month, except for July and August when it's hard to get volunteers. Mary Sue Always sings, insert the name of the hymn with insider lingo and obscure words for new to the faith Christians. Mary Sue always sings that song for Easter Sunday. How it wouldn't be Easter without Mary Sue's song. That one. That one cut close to home, didn't it? I saw a couple of you flinch. Oh, no, she didn't. Not Mary Sue's song. We flinch and we fidget and we're flustered because time is not just changing for the Israelites. Things are getting shaken up for us too. And I'm not just talking about potluck dates and electric guitars in the sanctuary. When I was a kid... The businesses in my small-town Georgia community closed at noon on Wednesdays. And there were no sporting events. There was no band practice on Wednesday so that folks could go to church. In that little pocket of Georgia, that small-town little piece of my community, our culture lined up with our faith. And I am not that old. Now, ask the youth pastor from your church. I'm serious. Go back and ask the person working with youth at their church, and they will appreciate it because they are racking their brains to make church accessible in an era when Sunday morning, our Sabbath, our sacred day, has been co-opted by travel sports, by a whole lot of things, and ever-extending work week, exhaustion, Homework, irresistible brunch menus, times are changing. And we should know because we've been arguing about these changes for a pretty long time. Profound theological debates, but arguments nonetheless in our presbyteries at our national level, and we have cheered for our side, and we have taken our toys and gone home when things didn't go our way. Take your pick of the issue that makes you whoop whoop or makes you question our direction, whether it's the inclusion of Belhar in the book of Confessions or speaking out against gun violence, whether it's a new definition of marriage or divestment from Israel. No matter what your camp, we cannot deny that the church of today looks a lot different than the church of yesterday, and that can be exhilarating, and it can also be really, really scary. For David and for the Israelites, their governmental, their committee structure, if you will, has been redrawn. This is a community of faith that since the time of Moses and Joshua has been ruled sort of loosey-goosey by charismatic judges who bubbled up to leadership when that was needed. This king stuff, first with Saul and then with David, is a new way of doing business, a new way of being God's people. And now they're up and moving the royal city, God's home base, if you will, and folks are scared, and they're hurt, and they're angry, and they're skeptical. Jump forward about 3,000 years, and a lot of God's people are pretty darn scared, Now, maybe it's mostly nerdy preacher types who are shaking in their sensible Sunday shoes these days, but I bet a lot of you, maybe even the youngest of you, can look around this church, not this church right here in this space, the big, wide Church of Jesus Christ, and particularly the mainline Protestant flavors, I bet you can look around and remember how it used to be. I pastor a church, Druid Hills Presbyterian in Atlanta. We are in a happening part of town. About a thousand condos have been built in the last year within a square mile of my church. It is a modern day apostle's dream. A mixed use apartment complex with flashy, funky little shops and Restaurants on the ground floor, it's going up right across the street from us. The art scene is fresh and innovative. The restaurant scene would make any foodie giddy. It is a hopping, dynamic place. But you know what's not hopping, at least in the old school, traditional sense of the word, what's not hopping in my neighborhood is church. Our church building is stunning, red brick and stained glass, and a slate floor sanctuary that the music bounces off just so. A building built for 2,500 members that now houses about 200. Those mixed-use apartments across the street are being built over land that used to be the Baptist church Sunday school space. Times are changing the Pew Religious Landscape Study, which came out this winter, confirms what those of us who are looking for tenants to rent space in our buildings, who are wondering how on earth we are going to make our presbytery budgets without ditching all our mission initiatives, those of us who remember what when Sunday was just for church, the study tells us what we already know, that the Christian share of the U.S. population is on the downhill slide. Now, stick with me. I know that this is depressing, especially in Montreat, of all places, the happiest Presbyterian place on earth. It is like talking about sick puppies at Disneyland. (laughs) It just seems rude. But this church that we love is bigger than these solid and stunning stone walls, and she is feeling a little weary in her bones these days. So, the Pew Religious Study, which spanned from 2007 to 2014, said that over that time of seven years in the United States, the population of adults rose by 18 million people. So, if we're just sort of staying the course with a population rise, you would expect that our numbers would be on the climb a little bit. But no, despite the population growth, there are about 6 million less adults who claim to be Christian in the past seven years, and five million of those are mainline Protestants. That's us. And the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S nuns, the unaffiliated, they are dramatically on the rise with a 19 million person jump. Over a third of millennials, about age 25 to 33, are religiously unaffiliated. I was recently at a Presbyterian conference where the term unicorn was used to describe the mythical young adult Christian creature, and that scares the wits out of us, and it hurts our feelings. Who wouldn't want to be part of our group so We go searching for how to reach that unicorn population because we got to get some babies in this church before the tumbleweed starts rolling through the children's education wing. And there are simultaneously no answers and a lot of answers. There's something about requiring contemporary music with a catchy hook. Except except that millennials are seeking rituals. So more organ and a creed from the fourth century. And the scent of gourmet coffee is a must. But no gimmicks, more justice, more Bible study, more small groups, more laser tag. We are about God's business and that is important, important work. And and we are trying, trying to find the right formula is it two sprinkles young adult meetup group one mass mailer and still we don't want to let go of what it is that's important to us personally what makes it our church we don't want to let go of our pew of our ideal organ tempo that makes our toes tap Or not tap, if that's your thing. And and so we scramble, and we strategize, and we hold on tight, and we bury our heads in the sand. Rewind with me. 3,000 years to the changing time in Israel. The seat of power is on the move, and that David, he's up to some newfangled stuff. He is also wickedly strategic. David appeals to the central symbol of the old order in order to draw the naysayers into his plans. In the midst of this religious and cultural shakeup, the old guard has not forgotten the significance of the ark. The ark that led the people through the wilderness into the promised land, the ark that guided the Israelites round and round and round Jericho until the walls came tumbling down, the ark, which if we hadn't jumped over six-ish verses in the middle of this morning's scripture, in its holy power, an incredible mystery struck poor Uzzah dead when he reached out to study it. The ark representing the presence of God and all the hope and fire and fear that that brings. Now, for 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant has been out of the picture, shelved, stuck in Abinadab's storage unit, following the return from its theft by the Philistines. And now, the representation of God's immediate Presence is being relocated to Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant is in the royal city. God is in the house. God is in the house. Amidst all the changes, our hope, our strength, our joy is that God is here. Now, these days, we don't look at a golden box and think, oh, yeah, that's where God is lives right there on the wings of the cherubim. But I wonder with all our attendance counting and our redesigning the redesign and our mourning of the Presbyterians who are changing their stripes, PCUSA or ECO or EPC or XYZ and things are changing. And I worry sometimes that Maybe we've gotten so caught up in the changes that we have forgotten the unchanging. That the one who was before there was anything, God is in our midst and awesome and mighty and life-giving. That's our magic potion. Our hope when things move too fast or not fast enough, that the one who gives us life is right here. In the midst of change, we root ourselves not in research or in gourmet coffee or strategic plans. We root ourselves in the make-your-knees-shake-in-wonder power and love of God. And then, then we dance. That's what the Israelites do, assured that God is present. The people of God crank up the band— with song and lyre and tambourine and cymbals, and they bust a holy move before the Lord. It is liturgy. It is worship. There is a communal breaking of the bread, and the hungry are fed, and David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all of their might. This isn't decently and in an order. This isn't, let me finish this spreadsheet on our target demographic. This is a holy party, a letting loose for the sake of God's glory, which coincidentally has the effect of bringing God's children home. Dancing doesn't always come so naturally to us, especially when we are feeling exposed and feeling unsure of ourselves. I'm a runner in a non-runner's body it is hard for me it is awkward I have been running for eight years and it still feels brand new now purist runners will tell you that it is anathema to run with your headphones on but I depend on the rhythm to keep me going Having moved recently back to Georgia from Pennsylvania, the heat and the humidity are about to do me in, and I spend miles and miles and miles wondering, why am I trying so hard? Why does it feel so difficult? This summer, my go-to song has been, Walk the Moons, Shut Up and Dance, which in the interest of parents trying to teach manners, we will from henceforth and now on refer to as get up and dance. Although, I have to say there is something about that original title that reminds us that maybe it's time to be quiet, to stop what we're doing, to get up off our duffers and to celebrate. There is something about that song, and when it plays, I am strong. And I am capable, and dang, if I was not rocking a 12-minute mile, I would dance. I would shake off my past to be filled with possibility. So don't you dare look back, it says. So don't you dare look back, just keep your eyes on me. I said, you're holding back. She said, get up and dance with me. This woman, but I think this moment, this moment is our destiny. And she said, get up, get up, get up and dance with me. It's a song that sounds like what times of change could look like if we were able to put aside our anxieties about where we're going And focus instead on who we're going with. Our sacrificing, world-rattling, never-let-you-go, God. This is a stuck-in-the-middle time for the Israelites, on the move between who they were and who they are called to be. Heads are shaking as new leadership tries to get their footing and probably botches it up sometimes. Hearts are breaking because the church they love doesn't look like her old self anymore. And Elastic Hope is stretched and disappointed and stretched again as the future of God's people seems so far away and yet house. And those castanets and tambourines tap out a rhythm of praise for a with us God.